Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Michael Pazaratz. He's the CEO at Rave. Michael, welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing is is actually really interesting and cool but maybe before we kind of get into all that fun stuff let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up uh okay yeah well uh it's like it's really great to be on the show um i am a canadian uh, as i believe you are as well right that's correct um although canada's a big country and we're not from the same place i'm from hamilton uh which is about an hour outside toronto yeah that that's probably how people would (laughs) i i get asked like how close are you, like Vancouver, Toronto, sometime Montreal, or, or the Rocky Mountains I get sometimes, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I just usually say uh, between all those three places you mentioned, close That's, enough. Yeah, exactly. So, but you have kind of an interesting journey how you got into founding your own startup. You actually became a doctor. So, walk me through the journey of, deci- like, why did you decide to kind of go to school and become a doctor? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, uh, you know, medicine is, is it, it's a career. I think a lot of people outside medicine look at medicine as, as this um, special different kind of calling. And it is a unique career. Uh, I came from kind of a medical family. I have multiple uh, family members in medicine. So there's, there's always kind of there. And I was really attracted to um, not just helping people, but also the, the use of technology. I was always pretty good with technology and thought it would be really cool if you could use that to help people. Sure. Uh, I went to McMaster Medicine, uh, but I was actually in the Waterloo campus, uh, okay. was the first class. And so I was here in, in Waterloo and um, just being in Waterloo, which you know is a huge tech town, a totally. big startup town. And you're just kind of infected with that vibe. Oh. It just gets in your pores. And so everywhere you go, you go to restaurants or bars and you're surrounded by these people who are doing these things. And it kind of fascinated me that they were just striking out there on their own. It's, it's kind of a lot, in a lot of ways, the opposite of medicine, which was extremely regimented. I mean, you do your, you do your PGY1, PGY2, then you do fellowship. Everything's very, whereas these people were just totally off the beaten track, just, sure. just uh, figuring things out for themselves. Well, well, and I, so, Sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think like, for people that don't know, like basically that's where BlackBerry's from and a handful of other startups. BlackBerry's probably the most popular one. I know BlackBerry's not really necessarily that relevant in the smartphone game nowadays because they're running Android. But when you when you and I were kind of growing up, I, I think for the most part, and especially when just based on when you went to school, like BlackBerry was the dominant platform. So I could totally see why you you kind of get that vibe around that part of the the globe. Yeah, you know, I was in med school when the um, iPhone was released, which is dating myself. But um, and and so that's uh, I, I was in in Waterloo when that initial disruption happened, and there was a lot of people asking, like, is 
is this a threat? You know, obviously it turned out to be a threat. Sure. And, um, but you know, not to schmeck on Blackberry, they, they made this town. So this town yeah. wouldn't be what it is if not for them. And, you know, even though, uh, and I think as their fortunes have, you know, changed and declined a bit and they've changed as a company, um, that has then made more space for companies like ours and hundreds of other companies to, to move into the area. Sure. Well, and even just having that, that talent pool, right, in, in that part of the world is, is actually like pretty rare. Yeah. You know, I mean, we do a lot of work with the University of Waterloo, and it used to be that a huge, huge percentage of their co-ops would all go and work at BlackBerry. And, sure. you know, now now that BlackBerry hires less co-ops, that means that more of them are open to working with smaller up-and-coming companies like our own. So, you know, I, I think that um, it's kind of the natural evolution of a tech town like ours to go from one big company to a lot of different ones. No, I think that's great. So kind of back on, on, on your university medicine um, becoming a doctor journey. So you go to school, obviously you spend a number of years in school just because you have to become a doctor. Walk me through kind of you finishing university. What did you kind of do then? Well, the thing about medicine, and I think we already alluded to it, that Canada is a, a ridiculously large country and we're sure. just spread all yeah. over the place. So, um, and the other thing about medicine is you just go wherever you um, can get in. Now, you know, if somebody, you applied a lot of med schools and if, if Halifax says yes, you're on a plane. Got you. And, and then you do the same for residency and then you do the same for fellowship. So I was kind of fortunate in being able to stay in Southern Ontario, but a lot of my friends whom I, I went through undergrad with, they would get sent to like Edmonton or, and, then, and then they'd have to do their residency somewhere else. And so very quickly my circle became uh, in many different time zones. And so we would... Uh, communicate uh, mostly by text or instant messaging and uh, what I saw is a lot of those communications were very heavily laden with uh, media like YouTube links um, and other kinds of links to media and and what and a lot of it was like music either new music or old music that reminded us of nights out movie trailers for movies we wanted to see you know funny videos both new and old and just a lot of YouTube links being sent back and forth and that was really fun, but also it became extremely chaotic and very difficult because you know, some people would watch it immediately and then other people would come on later and then there'd be sp spoilers and things like that. And so I just – I saw that and I remember thinking that there's got to be a much better way to do this. Like um, all of these messaging uh, platforms are great, but none of them are really built for media and uh, providing a good co-viewing experience. Um, and so initially – uh, when my friends and I uh, looked at that problem, we didn't want to try to make an app uh, or a platform for this. We wanted to just download it. Sure. Because when you're outside of media or tech, you just assume that everything's already been done. Um, and so we didn't know if we'd get exactly what we wanted, but we thought you know, we'd get something pretty close. Sure. It would let you go on your phone and watch stuff in perfect sync and text and talk on, on VoIP and do all these things. And we found there was really nothing out there like that. And that was kind of a shocker. For us, and and then there's this sort of moment when there's the idea, like, do you think we could make this? Like, you know, we have a very specific idea in our head of what this would have to be, and we see a personal need for it, and we think other people would as well. So, um, my residency uh, that I did in London, Ontario, was nuclear medicine. Okay. And um, that's I, I went into that. I was very uh, interested in that. It's a fa it's a fascinating field. Well, what um, is that for people that don't know what that is? Because I I, so, I think it's fascinating to be honest. Yeah, it's um, the 
the easiest way to explain it to people is most people, uh, many people have never heard of nuclear medicine, including sure. actually some doctors, which is a bit embarrassing. But um, they, but most people have heard of radiology. So okay. radiology is like they you know, read CTs and MRIs and X-rays. Well, nuclear medicine is kind of like the cousin of radiology in that it's mostly uh, diagnostic imaging, um, except it uses nuclear uh, isotopes. Those are radioactive materials, like little radioactive drugs that are um, injected into patients, and they localize to certain disease processes like cancer. And then uh, by emitting radiation in that area, it, it allows us to image things. So it's a really fascinating field because it lets you image uh, functionally, which is like you get to see what things are doing, rather than radiology, which is mostly just imaging anatomically. You just get to see what the structure of something is. So I was attracted to it because it's it's a relatively uh, niche, smaller field, at least in North America. It's a, it's a bit bigger in Europe, but... Um, but it has huge potential. And so I, I really liked that because I've always been attracted to technology. And um, one of the ways, one of the reasons why I felt like what we wanted to do was possible is we knew that when we wanted to make um, a rave, so something that would allow you to, to watch stuff together, we wanted it to be perfectly in sync. That was, that was like absolutely a necessity for us because we wanted it so that if you were in the same room as somebody, that there would be no Doppler effect, no weirdness, no unpleasantness. We wanted just perfect sync. Sure. And um, very quickly, when talking to engineers, they people told us, "Well, that's just not a thing that happens. You know, that's not possible because <laughs> you know the internet." Yeah. And so, um, but we really felt like we could do it. And one of the reasons is because um, in nuclear medicine, there's a lot of imaging uh, that is really dependent on calculating the time of flight of a photon. And, and figuring out, um, by looking at coincidence events, they're called, basically figuring out when one photon strikes one panel and another photon strikes another panel, and then you can sort of say, well, it's closer to this panel than that panel, so it must be here. And the difference between those is a very, very, very small order of, of time, as I'm sure you can imagine. Sure. And, um, and so we were trained to not only use these machines, but also to like maintain them, to calibrate them, how they worked. And so when I looked at the problem of how do you get like phones and other devices to sync up playback um, down to the millisecond, I actually felt, compared to some of the stuff that we've been doing in nuclear medicine, that this is definitely possible, um, despite all the different latencies and problems involved. So, so that's, that was our first major tech, and we did get that working really well, and I'm really proud of that. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how my med medical background uh, influenced the first major challenge that we had as a company. Sure. So did you actually like practice as a doctor for a while or you went right into doing your own startup? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was in residency. Okay. So, okay. I mean, Which, that's, that's tech. It's technically that's, I'm, I'm an yeah. MD. I'm a doctor, all that. But yeah, I did, I did decide to go right into, because it, it, it got to a point, I sort of started it while I was in residency. Um, but it got to the point where I, you ask yourself a question and you're just like, hey, can I live with myself if I don't do this? Sure. Because it, it very quickly became clear that this was not a part-time endeavor. Um, I knew, I, I kind of knew that from the get go, like running a company, starting a company is really, really hard. Um, even a hundred percent of your time is, doesn't feel like enough. And so, um, and then when, when you realize, you know, do you want to be that guy 30 years later who's at a party, drinks too much red wine and, and just telling everybody that he had the idea for YouTube? Sure. You know, I had the idea for videos on the internet. Well, yeah, but you didn't do it. You didn't make YouTube. So shut up. And I didn't want to be <laughs> that guy to say like, I had the idea for such and such. And it was like, oh, God, Mike's going on about that again. So, you know, and then you just have to bite the bullet. And, I mean, it was kind of crazy, but I don't regret it 
for one second. No, I, I think that's great. Well, you could always go back to being a doctor one day if you really wanted to. Like, there's not really, I don't. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's a growth industry. Yeah. yeah. So no. So walk me through exactly kind of what the app does today. You you kind of cu- quickly covered it, but I I think like let's do a little bit of a deeper dive into exactly kind of what you guys do right now, kind of on Android and iOS, and, and we'll get into some of the VR and the AI stuff kind of a bit later. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, the best way to describe our company without confusing people uh, is to just to sort of imagine um, our company as a two-trick pony. Okay. Uh, most startup companies are one-trick ponies. You know, sure. um, nothing against them. It's good to focus on your one thing. But so we started with one thing, and then it grew, and now we really have two things. Um, so the first thing is what I call social entertainment platform. So it's the idea that we wanted to marry the best elements of a media player and of a chat application together to make this way that anybody could go on their device and connect with anybody else in the world, whether in the same room or on the other side of the planet, and watch anything they want together while communicating either over text chat or uh, VoIP, so that's voice over IP, ta- uh, like we're doing right sure, now. Sure, sure. And so, um, so we wanted basically a really easy way to let people watch stuff together, and we focused on the mobile phone because that's the new screen that a lot of people, especially younger people, are actually watching on, that and tablets. And, and we think it's a fantastic device because it's not just an output device, it's also a great input device. You can, you know, so we think it's a waste that most media companies are just using it like a little TV when it's so much more than that. So it's a way for people to watch stuff together. People can watch YouTube together, Netflix together, Viki together, Vimeo, their own content on Google Drive and Dropbox. So we're just always adding more content to it um, in order to basically allow you to have viewing parties with anybody in the world. Initially, we built it thinking that it would only be used amongst friends, close friends. Um, it definitely is used amongst close friends, girlfriend, boyfriend, you know, uh, all, all kinds. We've seen a lot of that usage, which we love. But also, we opened it up very early on and we said, okay, you should be able to have p- public raves. Sure. And you should be able to open up to anybody in the world. And if you go into rave right now, you'll see um, dozens of public raves that are people from around the world watching stuff. They're watching in English. They're watching in Spanish. They're watching in Russian and Dutch all over the world. That's really and cool. You can and you can go in there, yeah. And, and it's, it's an amazingly friendly environment because if they're watching something that interests you at all, then you already know something about them. You already know that there, there's some shared interest and you can enter it and you know maybe that's, that's how you start the conversation. And so I can say honestly that I have friends now in every country in the world and it's all just been from watching movies, shows, listening to music with people. It's a fantastic way to get to know people. Yeah, that's really cool. I think the other thing to kind of just add on, on a little bit of a side point um, that you kind of mentioned a bit earlier is um, younger generations consume a huge amount of content on YouTube or other kind of video platforms. And I think some, I think older people forget about that or don't know that. And I think like even take somebody as famous as like Tom Cruise or I don't know, like pick a big Hollywood movie star. Some younger people have no idea who these people are, but like you and I grew up watching them in movies all the time. And then you ask them like who their like movie star or famous person is. It'll be some YouTube star that 
nobody's ever, like you and I maybe have never heard of, right? But so mm-hmm. I think just to, to your point, there's a lot more people consuming content on their phone, right? Than potentially kind of traditional things. So I, I think you guys are kind of in an interesting spot because you're you're bringing in that kind of social watching whether you're in the same room or not, right? Like I kind of... Mm-hmm. Uh, what what got me thinking about kind of what you guys are doing is it's almost similar to what um, like Steam or, or some other video game companies are doing. Like I remember growing up and you'd play obviously like a two player, you know, Mario Kart or something like side by side with your buddy. But like nowadays yeah. you play video games with your friends online and they can be in all over. It doesn't really matter where they are in the world. So you guys are doing yeah. something similar to that, but with like digital video and audio content and, and obviously being able to chat and, you know, video games have had chat and stuff like that. So I think it's really kind of interesting your guys' whole take on that, right? So I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's, is that fair to say? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that in a lot of ways, I mean, I, I think in, in some ways it's it's very, very new wave, but in a lot of ways uh, we're really reaching back. It's very retro. Um, so it, the way it's, it's new, yes, it's YouTubers, YouTube celebrities for better or worse. Um, there's been some, you know, missteps uh, recently sure. with yeah. uh, with with some bad videos being put out and stuff, but that's just that's just natural. Um, but you know, uh, we have actually engaged with uh, several different uh, YouTube per- personalities who have done big raves with their fans, and sure. it's fantastic to see like a hundred or two hundred people come together and watching either their own videos or sometimes they'll just watch like stuff on Netflix that's of interest to their fan base. And the YouTuber is actually speaking in real time. Uh, they set it so that only they can actually speak. Everyone else can text. And it's a fantastic thing. People get so excited because it's real time. That's one thing Rave is. It's 100% real time. You're in it at the same time. And um, letting them reach out to their audience like that, it's kind of, I don't know, if maybe this is going step too far, but it's sort of Web 3.0, you know? It's like Web 2.0 is this idea that, you know, you post something and an hour later somebody likes it and a day later somebody puts a comment. We really wanted to try because we think uh, that with like LTE um, and, and uh, mobile devices in your pocket, we're going for Web 3.0, which is right away. Uh, you, you're watching it at exactly the same time down to the millisecond. You know if you say something, they're going to read it immediately. Um, and I, we think that's really, really exciting. Um, where the reason I say it's it's kind of a bit retro is because like when I was a kid, and again, I'm going to be dating myself, when I was a kid, people watched stuff on TV, the TV. You'd say, yeah. I'm watching the, because our house had one TV. Um, and things were on at a specific time. Something would be on at 8 o'clock. Not 7, not 9, 8. And so we always made sure, like people, I remember driving home with my mom, she was driving, and we'd be like driving crazy because we wanted to make the start of the show because if you didn't, you missed it and it was gone forever. And, you know, that, that obviously we've moved on. Now things are, there's more TVs in your house than there are people because sure. you have iPads and phones and laptops and your old broken laptop that's only good for watching movies <laughs> and, you know, sure. and then you got like say TVs in every single room, every bedroom. And so, you know, and... Things are on wherever you want now. It's it's everything streaming. Everything is you know on demand, and those are all great things. Those are all great things, and I'm sure we'll never go back. But the problem is that now, because it's not on a specific time, and because you don't have one specific TV, the all of the uh, incentives uh, that made you watch stuff as a group are gone. We used to watch Star Trek: Next Generation as a family, and it was a big deal. Interesting. And now people would just binge the whole series in their beds overnight, and then you know. Somebody say, "Have you seen the new Star Wars, Star Trek?" And yeah, it was pretty good. 
And then that's it. You know, that's where's there's the fun in that. Like, I think that one of the reasons Game of Thrones works is because everyone watches it at the same time. And then we all talk about it and there's viewing parties and all that. And that's one of the last it's a throwback. Every Sunday we have this this event that people watch. And so I miss that. You know, I think a lot of people miss that. There's a reason you go to the movies with other people. Um, I mean, some people, I guess, go to the movies alone, but that's not generally what we talk about. In fact, half the time we go to the movie, we don't even care what movie we see. We just sure. want to go to the movies with somebody. And so that's why when we launched Netflix at the end of 2017, um, we were super excited because we love Netflix. And we wanted to try to take what Netflix is doing, which is amazing, and then make that even better by socializing it. Make it even better by letting people come together and share it with friends and family and their significant others, no matter where they are. And seeing that happen and seeing every minute of every day being able to go on and, and watch people enjoying this, this content together and talking about it, uh, it, it feels really great for us. Because as a small Canadian company, you know, how can we contribute? And, and this is how. Sure. Well, and, and just to be clear, like both parties need to have like a Netflix account, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, you got to log in for sure. You know, we're not bandits. You yeah. have to, but everybody's got to log into their Netflix. It's just, you know, what we do is we perfectly sync it up. We make it a really simple experience. You know, you just go on, pick your video, and then invite your friends or leave it publicly open. They can join. And then that's it. You don't have to worry about anything else. You talk, you text, you talk. You can background the app, it'll keep playing. So it's really, uh, it's really handy that way. It's a really good experience. Sure. And so you're on Android, iOS. And mm-hmm. you're also on a couple other headsets. We are, yes. We are in virtual reality. So I think, well, I don't know. I, I guess like I used to kind of think not that long ago that VR was kind of dying off a little bit. I, I think like the augmented reality stuff um, was going to be probably the next thing and VR would kind of bypass. But um, I ended up getting, like we, I, we've had the well, – I guess the backstory a little bit is I work at a software company. We've had the Oculus since the developer version, and I've kind of been playing with it. And I was like, oh, this is great, but it's kind of just for high-end kind of gamers, and forget about forget about it because nobody's ever going to mm-hmm. buy a hundreds of dollar headset to sit at home and um, play games. Like the average person just isn't going to do that. Then yeah. I bought, um, you know, and I would play with cardboard, and I kind of thought, oh, it's kind of interesting. But then I bought actually like the gear, um, or uh, sorry, the Galaxy Gear VR? No, the the Google one. Sorry. What's, Daydream. What's, yes, Daydream. Daydream. Sorry, I always confuse them. There's so many now. I know. They're, they're so, very confusing names. I, like, just got it. And, like, the interface, and I think a lot of people don't know this, and why I bring it up is because you guys built a, a Daydream app, well, a VR app, but the thing that I think people don't realize about VR, and I would put myself in this category up until maybe a month or two ago, and... I watched the Google Keynote and all this other stuff, so I, I don't know why I glossed over it. But you basically can build this interface now, and it's what you guys have been doing, where you, you're you in this virtual reality room watching content on like a screen, and in your guys' case, you could see like the video, you could see the chat, you can see the VoIP stuff all in your headset. Is that a mm-hmm. fair way to describe it? Yes, it is. Uh, it's it's we're very passionate about VR, um, and like I, I actually was one of the first thousand people to 
be in the Kickstarter, nice. uh, to back the Kickstarter. So I actually got a free one when they released. So thank you, Oculus. Um, I bought That's it awesome. in the middle of the night on a, a hospital computer. I was on call. Nice. And I remember there was an orthopedics resident and, you know, operator just kind of looked at me and was like, what are you doing? And I showed him and he's like, you just spent $350 on a pair of space goggles. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So, you know, I, I was an early adopter and um, he was right to make fun of me. But so, you know, I had the DK1, we had sure. the DK2, we had, you know, we always knew, like, we believe in VR, but we also, um, I would say we haven't totally drank the Kool-Aid in that we know VR is going to be a long-term ambition. Sure. Um, and there's going to be missteps and there definitely has been missteps and compromises as, as you go because to actually get a product out to everybody. So, you know, I think Google's been very smart by starting with Cardboard. And then doing Daydream. And I don't think anybody at Google feels that Daydream is the, uh, is the destination. But no. it's definitely the next step in the path. But, but the, and so, keep going, sorry. Yep. And so, yeah, so we, uh, so we designed our app because we felt that VR had tremendous uh, cinematic experience potential. Like you, you can make a screen that's as big as you want in VR. You can make one that's 100 miles wide if you want to. We sure. did. It's not very practical. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, you can do whatever you want. And so, you know, I, I remember with the DK1, there was just like a simple little media player app, but I was just struck by, wow, it feels like I'm watching in a huge, you know, and that, that was a 600 by 800 pixel screen. So, sure. you know, it, it felt like, you know, going to the movie theater with maybe glaucoma or something, but still, it, was, it gave you that movie theater experience. And so what we're bringing to it, because I think we're not the only guys – to identify that this is a potential great experience. But there are problems with VR. And there's there's a lot of hardware problems with VR, but that's I think those will be solved in time. Sure. I think there's some very smart people working on them. But there's also some significant software problems with VR. And those are, in a way, the more interesting problems because the hardware problems are just more power, you know, better thermals, better screens, less ghosting, more pixels, etc. The software problems are what do we do with this? And as someone who has a couple of dusty VR headsets around, we, you know, and, and we don't really know what to do with them, I think it's, there's a content problem. And one of the reasons why I believe there's a content problem is that the purpose of technology is to um, connect people. Sure. It's, it's to, and VR is spectacularly bad at that. In fact, what VR does very well right now is it disconnects you from even the people that are around you. Sure. And, I mean, how many VR um, experiences... <clears throat> Excuse me. How many VR experiences right now um, allow you to connect to other people? There's a few like little games that let you like nod your head and you get to see somebody else nodding their head. Sure. Cool. Yeah. yeah. But um, and so <clears throat> so what we felt is that we thought there was a fantastic opportunity here because if WhatsApp released a VR app, it would be kind of weird because you'd you type with your face, you say, hi, what's up? And then you'd wait <laughs> half an hour in VR land for them to text back, not much. Um, and that's where I go back to that Web 3.0 idea of actual simultaneous communication, that you're both present and there at the same time. Um, and the only way that you can really do that, we think, I mean, one of the best ways at least, is, is if you are sharing media, because then you're both watching the same movie at the same time. And so we knew that we wanted to connect people in VR with other people. But the other problem with VR is it has right now a very, very low market penetrance. Sure. And even those people who do have it, they're using it, what, an hour a week, maybe less? I mean, it's not like you always have it on you like your phone. Yeah. And so um, 
so ultimately there's really not that many people using VR now. That will change as VR gets better, more ubiquitous, easier to use, more comfortable. Yeah. I have the raccoon eyes every time, you have big red marks <laughs> on my face. That, they last yeah. like two hours, it's very embarrassing. Um, and so uh, what we knew we wanted to do is we wanted to connect the VR app with the actual iOS and Android app. Okay. And that's something that um, has never been done. As far as we've known, and we, we've never been able to find anybody else who actually has a VR app that seamlessly connects with uh, a phone and tablet app. Interesting. And so uh, we've done that. And so if you go on to Rave VR, you are in the exact same environment with people who are on uh, Rave the app. You can join in, and there'll be a bunch of Brazilians and Russians who are watching music and listening to Mexican rap or whatever, or watching Netflix, and you can be in that, and you can talk to them, you can hear them chatting, you can even, you can VoIP, you can do absolutely anything you can, you want to. And so that's where we think that we're innovating in VR, and we're super excited, and we have some really cool stuff that we're working on now uh, that just take it to the next level um, in terms of immersion. And uh, I'm going to be honest, as a company, what we want to do with VR is we want to unite all platforms um, so that if you want to use VR and your girlfriend maybe doesn't want to strap a TV to her face, um, that there's no problem. You know, you can sure. both have and and uh, and we want to be the leaders in that area. No, I, I think it's interesting because you're right. Like it doesn't really matter if I'm watching it either on my phone or I have my phone in a headset and I'm watching it on like a digital screen on my headset, right? Like why is it any mm -hmm. different? Yeah, that's actually really interesting. So yeah, uh, and just a side note, like I saw somebody wrote an article about a guy brought his, well, I'm sure people do more than one guy, but like brought his um, daydream headset on the plane and was just like watching a movie like in VR in his, the whole flight. Like I thought that was kind of funny, mm -hmm. right? Like, no, but I, but I think to your point is like, you're, you're trying to bring people together. I, mm. I would actually probably do that myself and like just watch a movie. But I, I thought it was pretty funny. Like just yeah. the whole thing. Right. So I think that's great. Um, so you're also working on an upcoming AI project. Do you want to maybe dive into that a little bit deeper? Yeah. So that's the that's the other half of the company, really. It didn't start as half. It started as like a little sort of offshoot project nub, and it's just kind of grown and grown and grown. And now it's it's a really really important part of what what we do. So. Um, so we created this social entertainment platform and people were coming together and people were uh, sharing stuff and people were sharing music and it was great to see, you know, some Bulgarian showing us Bulgarian rap. Sure. And um, especially when you see stuff from other countries and you're like, oh, look, uh, somebody's copying a well-known American artist and then you realize it came out three years before their song and you go, oh, <laughs> maybe it's the other way around. Um, and so – uh, we so we saw that we saw it was overwhelming music because this was before we launched Netflix and certain other platforms, um, and so we looked at that and we and we said how can we let people do more than just consume content? How do we climb that value chain as a relatively small Canadian tech company? So sure. we can't just raise a hundred billion dollars and make content. Um, you know, respect to those companies that can and do, and that's great. But what we have to do is, is focus on our strengths, and our strengths were uh, that Waterloo is a fantastic tech town, and there's a lot of great talent. And right now, there's a revolution happening with artificial intelligence. Sure. Um, there's, there, it's just at a breakneck pace. We don't even know what's going to happen, but the tools that are now available to create things with AI 
um, are just unparalleled and no one really even knows what to do with it yet. So we looked at this and, and one of the founding um, principles that we've gleaned, we didn't make this up, we've gleaned from other successful people is make the product you want. So everything we make is things that we want um, and we hope other people are going to want them and that's why it's fantastic when other people also think they're great. Um, so what we wanted to make is we said an artificial intelligence DJ that sounds good and you can give it any music you want. It'll mash it up. It'll mix it up. It'll make it sound amazing. That would be, for us, hugely exciting. Okay. And that did not exist. You know, we, we looked around and that just that nothing like that existed. Um, and then we, we got into that and we very quickly found out why that doesn't exist. Because that's a very, very hard problem. I was just going to say, it's extremely complicated. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, uh, um, Sounds so simple. Yeah, exactly. You know, put the music together, make it sound good, party on, right? But yep. no, it's it's a super difficult problem. And but we still believe that music as an art form um, is based on numbers. You know, it, it, there's beats and there's bars and there's tempos and everything in music can be expressed as a number. And computers are, of course, extremely good at understanding and manipulating numbers. Sure. Um, However, we very quickly also understood that there was uh, issues around – we thought that it wasn't that hard to extract all the information from music. It turns out it's a very hard problem that people have been struggling with for decades. So, you know, there's sort of a – that was the uh, cold water moment where we realized, oh, boy, this is tough. But um, over the last two years, we've persisted and we – our belief was there are new technologies that are now available that are going to allow us to go further than other people in the field. And long story short, we were able to create something that and release it um, in 2017 uh, called Rave DJ. It's, uh, it's in the app, but it's also on a website called rave.dj. And it allows you to go on and just pick any two songs. We pull them from YouTube, so it's the videos as well. So you can pick any two songs you want, and then our system will take it, we'll analyze it on a very deep level, and we'll build a new song from it, which in the industry is often called a mashup. So we wanted to start by letting you take any two songs and mash them up and sort of look for areas that these songs could be complementary, areas that they could go to work together well, take elements from either song. And we were able to get that to the point that it very often sounds really good. And it's, it's created some amazing uh, uh, mashups. And so we have had uh, – we haven't really publicized it much, but we've had well over 2 million uh, mashups made. That might actually wow. be an old number. So um, like 10 million viewed. So people share them a lot. Uh, the numbers are increasing all the time. So I think, I think people are just taken by the fact that it's sort of a novel experience. You're not expecting to go to a website and within a minute be able to create a brand new, really good sounding track with video and then share it, upload it to YouTube, do whatever you want. So, so that was where we started and we created that and now what we're doing and what we're looking forward to releasing within the next uh, couple of months um, is the next generation of that which will allow you to take an unlimited number of songs okay. and create a continuous playlist so, like a, and we call it a mix. Okay. So if, you've ever, if you ever go to a club, like a, a, a proper nightclub, um, they don't ever play a playlist. No, no good. No club you want to be in is playing a playlist. Okay. Because sure. playlists, you play a song, and then the song stops, yeah. and then there's this awkward moment of silence, 
and then and then the next song starts and it takes about uh, 30 seconds to get to the chorus the good part and then that song stops and so there's this constant regular interval of breaking your momentum and i'm sure you've been to house parties where somebody just puts on a spotify playlist sure. and even if it's a good playlist which it often is not uh, you have this problem i, I don't know i've i've yeah, been to no, some house parties fair. where yeah, whose playlist is this and uh, you have this problem whereby it, the momentum just dies. Uh, so clubs, house parties, but also you know when you're working out. I don't know if you've ever been to like a Pilates class, spinning class, just you know go running, and then you, you hit that moment where suddenly the music stops, and there's this you hear your heart beating, and you know, and then the next song starts up. You don't want that. Yeah. You, yeah. you want momentum continuous, and you also want it to be surprising. You want it to fit all your music together. A good DJ will take all your music and put it together in ways that sound good, they're interesting, they're surprising, um, and it just creates this continuous feeling that lasts as long as you want it to last. And that's, what, that's why people go to music festivals. Sure. So, um, so we have created this, and one and we've been able to make something that now it's getting to the point where it's kind of passing the DJ Turing test. So you know, I think most of your listeners will probably know what the Turing test is. It's like uh, for AI, it's if you can fool someone into thinking that uh, they're speaking to a human being, sure. then it's 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 AI. So now most people who are unaware, they totally think that this was mixed by a human being because it sounds deliberate, it sounds intentional, it sounds good. There's it, it even you know sounds creative. And one of the reasons why, so we use uh, neural networks quite extensively in order to train it to be able to make the correct decisions that a real DJ would make. Um, but one of the reasons why we feel that we can be at least competitive with a lot of, uh, of DJs, you know, I don't think the very best ones have to worry, but definitely the worst ones should be worried. Uh, or actually, they, <laughs> sure. should, they should probably just use rave dj and then they would they'd sound a lot better um but i think that uh, it's because it's sort of the same reason why deep blue was able to beat human chess players right um even the best ones it's not because deep blue was more creative than these chess players because some of them were had you know flair and they do daring things and stuff like and deep blue wasn't it deep blue could just see more moves into the future and pick the best possible moves more so than a human being could. So if you have a playlist of 400 songs, our system is going to be able to look through it and see all the possible areas in every single song that might work really well for transitions, for drops, that might, and it can pick the very best and make what is statistically, mathematically the optimal mix. Right. And that's something that, and there's, I mean, literally hundreds of trillions of different possible ways to put something together and it can pick the best one. So, our goal is not to, to put DJs out of business. Our goal is to make almost anybody into a DJ. Sure. Uh, we want to be able to make an eight-year-old kid just pick their favorite music, say mix, and then we put together this fantastic-sounding uh, continuous set with video and music and audio and everything. And, and really, when it comes down to it, you know, we just we just think playlists are boring, and we can do so much better than that. Yeah, no, I I think it's great, man. I I think the platform is really interesting, especially like if you guys ever move into doing like live events or I guess it technically like if you're watching a show, it's it's streaming to you live. But like I rem I mean like actual like streaming a live concert or something could be really interesting, and some of the mm -hmm. other stuff that I think you could you could take it could be really interesting. 
But I am curious to know a little bit maybe about how did you guys actually get this thing built? Did you raise a bunch of money? Did you bootstrap this thing? Because there's a lot of tech that and effort and almost like research time and effort that went into building some of this stuff that seems kind of simple, right? But there's a lot of work behind this. So how did you guys kind of fund this thing? Well, we are internally funded. So, you know, we put our money where our mouth is. Okay. Um, you're right. We're very, very research heavy uh, organization. Uh, probably 99% of our resources go into research and uh, production of the actual product. And that's just the decision we made because we would feel, uh, ultimately you have to choose, but we definitely feel that we want to be the company that maybe not as many people have heard of that has a great product versus the company everybody's heard of that has a bad one. Sure. Um, but that is now changing though because as, as we have, uh, especially as Rave DJ 2.0, I guess you could call it, with the mixes sure. uh, comes out and it's, it's really, I mean – Everyone who's seen it and uses it goes, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. I mean, it just sounds so good. Um, we are now working with different partners to really get more out there because uh, now the key thing is, as, as I said, as a relatively small Canadian tech company, um, now that we've spent, as I said, about two years on this radio, developing it, the core technologies from the ground up and doing what many very smart people said was impossible and we should probably just save our time and not do. Um, and now that we've actually achieved it, we really want to make sure it gets out there in as many hands as possible. Sure. So what's the monetization strategy? Have you guys kind of figured that out yet or are you still too early? No, we, we, we have. Um, and that's another interesting component. I mean, we're working with the music industry uh, to license these things because sure. luckily, I think everybody has this... Um, this stereotype or idea of the music industry being these big bad guys who hate technology, and um, that's not been our uh, that's not been our um, experience. Maybe they were in the '90s. I don't know. But uh, now they're they're actually. I think that they realize technology uh, is a good thing for them. It's going to continue happening, and they're very excited about artificial intelligence. They know it's going to have an impact on um, music, and I think our impact with AI music is like very very. Um, it's not subtle. I mean, it, the AI is mixing the music. It's actually doing all the work, making it sound great. You just do the fun 1% where you pick the music and then it does the 99% that's kind of, that would, it takes DJs hours and days to do. So, so they're excited. They see how we can make their music offerings better. So, um, so we are working with them so that we'll be able to license it. And then, uh, whether we're, it's ad supported or a premium tier, that we're going to be launching, which will allow you to do even more stuff with it, maybe give you a little bit more control, some perks um, for the the amateur wannabe DJs out there, uh, and then and then we'll work with them on that. Um, and so that's that's where Rave DJ can be. Uh, there's also definitely opportunities to work with the industry. That if you need to be able to very quickly and very professionally, without a lot of work set up music for an event sure. and you don't want to pay somebody to take, I mean, you know, even, even the most motivated DJ, they can only work as fast as a human can possibly work. Yeah. Whereas our thing will work a lot faster. So, I mean, there's a lot of possible industry. How many industry events need music mixed? I mean, at every, uh, every wedding, 
yeah. you know, every every bar mitzvah, some of the more fun funerals I've been to, you know, those they, everybody needs music, right? Yeah. So um, and so if rave DJ is able to put that together in a way that that sounds a lot better, then I think that people would probably uh, be interested in, in buying those services. Yeah, and I think even just doing stuff like being able to sell tickets or even have the artist on the chat as people are watching their new video or, or whatever, right? Like there's a million ways that you guys could take this. Yeah. One of the ways that we really want to be able to jumpstart it is to allow people to come in on the website. And when we launch, they're going to be able to sign into their Spotify and then just okay. pull their Spotify playlists right in. And, and so, you know, the moment you sign your Spotify, we're going to just take your Spotify playlists and start mixing them for you. And, and start playing that for you. No, that's, and I think that's when you hear your favorite music and it sounds like it was mixed by a, a DJ, which would cost literally thousands of dollars, I think that's when people are going to get it and go, wow. Sure. No, I, I think that's, that's actually really interesting. So I, I know you guys are working on a bunch of other stuff, but is there anything else that you guys are kind of looking to actually build into the platform kind of throughout the rest of the year? Well, we're always making um, all kinds of improvements. Um, definitely, we have uh, definitely bit off, bit off a lot right now. Sure. And so we're sort of sort of chewing it. And we want to make sure that we can deliver this experience. Somehow, we are the leaders in AI music at the okay. current moment. Okay. Um, and God only knows how we got here, but we, we did a crazy thing and it works. And so the question is, uh, how do we deliver that to as many people uh, as well as possible. We are also now the leaders in um, uh, social entertainment, so allowing people to watch stuff together. Sure. So the question is, how do we deliver that? So, you know, we're looking at things like live streaming, um, and that there's been a lot of interest there. There's we get thousands and thousands of different suggestions, sure. and you know, Can't chase most them of them, <laughs> most of them are good, um, and and so, but yeah, we really want to focus. Like we don't want to start a third offshoot. I'll put it that way. Even though right. there's ideas around that, um, and we really want to focus on delivering this because what we have is is very very potent and good. And that's one of the reasons why we're right now uh, in conversations with a lot of potential partners who can see this and see different ways to introduce that to their markets. Um, I'll say one thing is one area that we're seeing a lot of growth in um, is South America, okay. and so all of our offerings are uh, in Spanish as well and sort of tailoring to the South American market. And one thing we see actually, to, and I have to say you know, to South Americans' credit, is um, when you pitch, like all of our products are basically saying, you know this thing you like, like watching Netflix or listening to music? Sure. Wouldn't it be better if you watched it with other people? It's more fun. Or wouldn't it be better if you put this playlist into our AI DJ and we'll make it sound better? And North Americans are a little bit cautious towards that. They go, yes, but I, I like my Netflix. I don't want to change it. And, and you, you kind of have to walk them through it and finally go, oh, okay. Or I'm fine with Spotify, thank you. And then you show them and they go, oh, this is better. We find South Americans don't have that hesitance. They're just like, it's free? Let's, let's do it. What are you waiting for? Let's go. You know, and they're very, you know, and so that's one of the reasons why we love that market so much. We love those users so much because they're, they're very excited. They're very happy. They're very grateful. And they're willing to try new stuff. New is good. Whereas in North America, new is, is weird. Um, but we're winning them over too. Yeah. So that, that's our experience. No, that's, that's actually interesting. I, I think the other thing too is, uh, well, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, are, are a lot of the people in South America Android users? 
Yes, yes, yeah. they are definitely Android heavy. Yeah, like I, I think like like Samsung phones are basically like the iPhone of North America, where like it's almost like you've never seen an iPhone. Is that fair to say? Maybe that's yeah, a I know overgeneralization, but. Uh, in Brazil, uh, Apple products are extremely expensive. They have uh, some some kind of funky import taxes on them, so it, it makes it almost cost prohibitive for anyone uh, to actually own one. Um, yeah, so yeah, Android is very very heavy in South America, which um, we're very lucky that we have a great Android app, and uh, it's actually right now uh, sort of skyrocketing in terms of downloads because we've got a lot of really positive. Um, reviews, many of them from South America. So as our review scores have gone up, more people are downloading, which is a really sure. great thing to see. And, uh, and so, so yeah, we do, we do see that uh, definitely, which is why we did want to be platform agnostic. It's sure. a lot more work to try to be on all these platforms, but at the same time, we want to try to make uh, everything we offer uh, as open to everyone. And that's one of the reasons why it's, uh, uh, I, I just want to point out again, because a lot of people, they, they think it's just an app or an app company. Rave DJ is totally fully accessible from a browser. So okay. that means really any device with internet connectivity, um, you can access it from. Even even your mobile. If you don't want to download the whole app, you can just go and create stuff. And we really wanted to make it that simple for people to use. No, I, I think that's really great. So we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So let's close. Maybe give like a quick overview of, of Rave and, and Rave DJ quick and then mention where people can actually check out the different apps and versions and, and actually try the thing out? Okay. Well, uh, in a nutshell, Rave is a Canadian technology company, and we focus on developing new tech to make media better. Uh, we make it better by making it more social and by making it more creative and fun. Uh, our Rave social entertainment platform is on iOS, Android, and in virtual reality on both a Google Daydream and Samsung Galaxy Gear VR. They're all for free, and they're all available in those respective app stores. And then Rave DJ is our artificial intelligence DJ. Right now, you can go to rave.dj, and you can mix music together and create a mashup. And very, very soon, you're going to be able to mix hundreds of tracks together to create a professional-sounding set. Perfect, Michael. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. All right, great. Thanks for having me, Kevin. All right. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.